You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 531 for September 23rd, 2020. It's the birthday of John Coltrane, who would have turned 94 today. 94. On today's show, vocalist Christine Correa. This show exists because listeners become members. As you know, if you've been listening to this season, I am getting ready to move into a minivan and make that my home and travel around and do all of the things that I now do except on the road and with a lot less extra stuff. And so part of what is going to make that a possibility for longer than a week or two (laughs) is memberships in the jazz session. Quite honestly, uh, you folks are going to put food on the table and gas in the tank and all of that kind of stuff. So if you would like to be part of not only helping continue to make this show and to paying for the massive amount of server space that 13 years worth of audio interviews requires, Uh, But also helping to be part of the future of the show and the kind of mobile future of the show, then there's no better way for you to do that than to become a member right now at thejazzsession.com slash join. That's thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks. Christine Correa and Ran Blake have a new duo record out. It's a tribute to Billie Holiday. It's titled When Soft Rains Fall. I'm a fool to want you I'm a fool to want you To want a love that can't be true A love that's there I'm a fool to hold you Such a fool to hold you To seek a kiss. Christine Correa, welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you, Jason. It's such a pleasure to have you here. We're going to start by talking about uh, a new record called When Soft Rains Fall, a, uh, a duo album uh, with you and uh, Rand Blake, and it's in a tribute to a great Billie Holiday record from about six decades ago called Lady in Satin. You know, when I was listening to this record, the first thing that struck me was that you have to be, I don't know if confident is the right word, but you have to be, I think, pretty confident in exactly where the melody falls and where you intend to go, at least in some sense, because much of Rand's accompaniment, you know, there's a few places where it's kind of what you might expect, but a lot of it is, is very, you know, adventurous. And it strikes me as maybe difficult when it's just the two of you. It doesn't feel like there's much of a net beneath your feet when you're singing these songs. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, I have worked with Ran a very long time. I've actually known him for more than 40 years. And I think we, we are somewhat familiar with each other's tendencies. He's an absolute joy to perform and record with. And, um, and I know he enjoys collaborating with vocalists. Preparing for a performance with Ran is actually not about preparing the specifics but rather preparing in general, you know, just knowing the song well enough and to be able to follow any direction it might take. So you, it's impossible really to plan ahead. You just have to kind of go by instinct, you know. He is a brilliant pianist and, you know, his, whose music really touches one's soul. And so you know it's going to go to some places that, are, that feel incredibly deep. And I mean, I guess what you've just described is what in improvised music we hope is always happening. That I that idea of enough trust and adventurousness that it goes to some place deep. Exactly. There we trust each other completely. Yes, and you just have to be open. You know, you cannot have any preconceived plans. It doesn't work that way. You just do whatever feels natural at the time. Yeah. And you, as long as you trust the person and you know it'll take you to a good place. How did you and Ran first meet? I met Ran in August of 1979, more than 40 years ago, when I first relocated from Bombay, India to Boston to attend the New England Conservatory. Ran was the chairperson of the Third Stream Department, which is currently known as the Contemporary Improvisation Department. And that was started by Gunther Schuller. And I couldn't have been more fortunate to have had the opportunity to study with him. Um, you know, he introduced me to vocalists I had never come across in India. People like Jean Lee, Abby Lincoln, Chris Garner, June Christie, just to mention a few. And it was always, um, you know, it's always been a treat to spend time with Ran. And we maintained our friendship and continued to be um, musical partners, even, even after I was done with NEC. I think my earliest performance with him was in 1980, here, a few months after I got here, at an all-night jazz festival in, in Boston, which was actually a thrill for me. Anyway, but it wasn't until 1992, I believe, that we recorded our first duo CD, Roundabout, which was released on the Music and Arts label in California. And I had moved to Brooklyn soon after, so I didn't see Ran as often as I would have liked, although we did do some duo gigs. After a gap of over a decade, we went into the studio again in 2010, and we recorded um, Out of the Shadows, which included a repertoire from um, our favorite vocalists, Billy and June and, and Abby and Chris Connor. But 2010 um, was also the year that the great Abby Lincoln passed away. And then it seemed fitting for us to also consider a tribute to Abby. So we began to immerse ourselves in her music, listening even more carefully to her entire recording catalog, particularly her time with Max Roach, and as well as her own songs later on, you know, studying the melodies even better. And that eventually culminated in two tribute CDs to Abby, which was Down Here Below, 
and the road keeps winding. Then in 2018, I believe it was, Ran and I released streaming, which included material from the third stream repertoire when I was at NEC. You know, introducing, um, through his teaching, he introduces music from diverse sources. And then here we are with When Soft Rain Falls with our tribute to Billie Holiday. So I think that's, I tell you, my working relationship with Ran over the years. Feel free to uh, correct me if you disagree, but it feels like a thread that runs throughout the vocalists you two appreciate, or at least the ones you have in common, is a, a certain amount of exposure or vulnerability in their performance. At least that's those are two of the things, in, in addition to some incredible strength, I think. Those are a couple of the things that I think about when I think about the vocalist that you just mentioned, uh, the two of you appreciating. Is that is that a fair statement, or feel free to... Absolutely fair. Yes, yes, it is a fair statement. You know, with Billy, I mean, Billy has always had a special place in my heart, you know, and has had a lasting impact on both Ran and myself, both musically and emotionally. For me, every one of Billy's recordings is a gem, you know. Um, I would consider her to be the greatest jazz vocalist of all time. You know, she was brilliant as a singer a great uh, lyrical interpreter. She took chances. She could swing. She was sophisticated. She was intense and so vulnerable. And, um, and Lady in Satin in particular is her only recording with strings and a chorus and really has a special quality. And although Billy's vocal strength is sort of fading by this point, she is most expressive. And if I were to look for music with deep emotional impact, I would go for Lady in Satin. You hear all the sadness in that recording, and I certainly could connect. You've changed the sparkle in your eyes is gone Your smile is just a careless yawn You're breaking my heart You've changed You've changed Your kisses now so blase you're bored with me and 
she was always uh, able to transform a song into a personal story. I think that was close to the end of her life. No, I don't think I know it was close to the end of her life when she did that recording. And it's quite, and from her voice, it's quite evident how tragic her life might have been. Each song was handpicked by her for its lyrics. There's no one who comes close to matching Billie Holiday. As you yourself have grown older, have you found your relationship with her music changing? Yes. Yeah. I'm actually able to see what she might have been through, her sad childhood, her prison time for drug addiction, the abuse of relationships. And it's just so tragic that she could have had a life like that and that she could... could, um, channel it all in her music somehow it just touches me you know much deeper right now i believe yeah yeah i don't i don't subscribe to the theory that art can only come from pain but i think that there is an incredible wealth of art to be found in pain and in transforming pain into into beauty or even just telling the story of pain and seeing whether or not beauty emerges. I mean, I don't think that's a requirement for great art, Uh, but I think she was masterful at it. Right. But in the case of Abby, now, with her music, when she sang Max Roach's songs, there was this anger, this confidence, the way she interpreted those lyrics, there was no messing around, you know? And Max knew the way she was and wrote music and lyrics accordingly you know i actually the lyrics were written by oscar brown jr for for most of his percussion bittersweet and uh, freedom now sweet records but uh, the way abby interpreted it it was not pain it was anger it was civil rights it was a lot you know so i mean music is such a way a beautiful way to express Let's take a quick break from the show so that I can give you a gentle reminder to become a member of the Jazz Session. For 13 years and significantly more now than 500 episodes, I've been chronicling this music that we all love and building a big archive of the stories behind the music. If that's valuable to you, then I hope you'll take a moment and go to thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member today. That's thejazzsession.com slash join. When you do become a member, you get not only early access to all the regular episodes, but you get a weekly bonus episode called Track of the Week at the $5 level. At the $10 level, you get all that plus another monthly bonus episode. Again, that's the jazzsession.com slash join. Now, back to the show. Do they care that it's okay? That I'm lonely as low as can be. And the smile on my face isn't really a smile at all. So I smoke a little too much. And I joke. A little too much And the tunes I request Are not always the best But the ones where the trumpets blare So I go at a maddening pace And 
you mentioned that uh, Lady in Satin contained both strings and uh, a chorus, and of course, uh, When Soft Rains Fall contains a voice and a piano. Obviously, these songs have been interpreted in a million ways by a million people. But when you were when you were thinking about reinterpreting that particular record, can you talk a little bit about how you arrived at the arrangements or the the moods that you used on this record? With Ran, you mean? Yes. The arrangements were. I have to tell you, we did not arrange anything. I wondered if that was the case. <laughs> Never arranged a thing. You, we just have to know the melody and just see which direction it goes. You know, we did several takes of the same song, and they were so different, completely different, that, you know... Choosing the right take for that particular recording is more about choosing the flavor rather than which one was impeccably executed, you know. So there were no planned arrangements at all. No, we just know Billy. We know the lyrics to the songs and we just go from there. That makes me very happy. I I, I don't know why exactly, (laughs) but as I was listening to this, I was wondering to myself, you know, I... I bet they just went in the studio and the, they turned the tape on and yes. <laughs> let's just see what happens, yes. which is, yeah, I think that's fabulous. Um, yeah, you but tell- you know, we didn't do it in a studio. We didn't do that in a studio. Oh, where did you do we it? Recorded, no, we recorded it at the New England Conservatory's Jordan Hall, which is the most beautiful hall and is the most inspiring place to perform in. And it was just the two of us and the engineer. Yes. And so that whole setting, it was just us with these, with, you know, these empty seats. And we just sang our hearts out, sang and played our hearts out to an empty (laughs) hall. It was beautiful. (laughs) In many ways, it's kind of a a slightly prescient pandemic recording of just the two of you in a completely (laughs) empty hall. I, you know, I did a I, I did a live stream concert last night with Frank Kahlberg. I don't know if you know Frank. I do, Maybe yeah. You do. Yeah, so Frank and I, because Frank has also done a duo CD with Ran, Grey Moon. Right. And I did this duo with Ran too. And of course, Ran couldn't be here because of the pandemic. So we decided this was going to be our CD release concert last night at the Soapbox <laughs> Gallery here in Brooklyn. And it was just the two of us. And we sang selections from the recordings, and there was just the engineer and a photographer in the room. And I actually loved that setting. <laughs> That's fabulous. It was strange, but it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> For all we know, we may never meet Heart will be in it. 
you, I'm curious about how having worked with third stream music, uh, if if it has impacted your singing in what I guess we might consider the more standard jazz repertoire, like, for example, this album. I don't think the performances are standard, but certainly the songs are are well-known uh, pieces. Yeah. Has has having that third stream experience, has that impacted how you approach what we might consider the more standard repertoire? Yes, it's definitely, ha, ha, it definitely has more of an impact. For one thing, with third stream, we did everything by year orally, mm. you know? And so you're really always listening to what's going on around you, which helps in interpreting, you know? As long as you don't have notes in front of you when you're singing this repertoire, you just have, uh, you're using your ears as as much as possible, you know. You hear a compliment, you hear harmony differently, you hear me- melody differently. I find the third stream approach really very useful, and I actually use that when I'm teaching at Columbia. I do not, I have uh, students, I do not give them any notation until after they've learned the song by ear. And I think they surprise themselves just as much because they start interpreting. They're not so hung up on notes. I do give them the music later on so they know what the melody, the real melody is. We learn it from from a recording. You know, I do everything by ear. I try to transfer that same way that I learned and studied with Ran to my current students. Because I think it's most useful. Before they get to college, uh, most students who come up, at least in an American music program, come up learning to play very much off the printed page. And, you know, to certainly my experience, other than in the, you know, the jazz band in high school, almost everything was extremely strictly off the printed page. So mm-hmm. to then it, all of a sudden have someone say, okay, we're going to put away the paper and I want you to use your ears. I can imagine from the point of view of a, you know, an 18 year old student who really wants to, you know, excel and is worried about performing well and all those things. I could imagine it would be a little bit scary. It is very unsettling. And I prepare them for that, you know, because I know they've always been reading. So I tell them it's just going to take a little while and it's going to be fine. And actually, <laughs> they adjust faster than you think. You know, it's it's completely different. I mean, you know, I you have to pull the rug from under their feet sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they cannot depend on music all the time. This, you know, when you're singing, it doesn't go through a middleman. You don't need an instrument. You just are hearing it. I I get them to sing, um, even if they play other instruments in the ensemble, I get them to sing the melody and sing what they would like to project on their instruments first, and then translate into their instruments, you know, because there's something very direct about the human voice, you know, and it goes, and then you could send it to your instrument, you know, you have to first hear it before you play your instrument or sing, you know. I've often heard professional athletes talk about visualizing the physical performance they were going to have to give before they actually engage their bodies in it. And this sounds very much like that almost you know, an auditory mm-hmm. visualization, which I'm sure there's a word for that, but it sounds very, very right. much like that kind of concept. 
Yes, well, I'm from India, you know, and none of that music is written. Sure. It's all done orally. And, I mean, it's just done with, it takes a longer time, but it's just the, the what you finally have is just amazing, you know. I mean, it goes down from the master down to student, and it keeps going, and there is something universal and direct about that human voice and learning things internally first before you move it to your instrument. There's actually hardly a culture that doesn't have singing. And many cultures and genres, I think, are defined to a great extent by this uh, great voice. You know, like, you know, you have Lata Mangeshkar or Ellis Regina, you know. I can't imagine Ellis reading music or Mercedes Sosa reading music, Mahalia Jackson or Ray Charles. Yes, I'm sure they could. But the way their music comes across, Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, you know, it's, yeah. it's all internalized. It's coming from deep within. One more break to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with you, members, who support it. And also, the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him to do voice work for you at hearchucknow.com. Follow the jazz session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the jazz session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does make a difference. If you'd like to keep up with my podcasts and poetry and van travels and YouTube channel and everything else I'm doing, you can subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter at thejazzsession.com. Just click on the newsletter link. And now, back to the episode. I want to switch directions just a little bit and ask you a question that is based greatly on my own self-interest, because uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, musicians is Steve Lacey, with whom you performed, and I just wanted to ask you for any reflections on that on that time. Yes, it was a pretty amazing experience to perform with Steve Lacey. Uh, we had done this concert in a radio program in, uh, in Helsinki, Finland, and both Frank and myself had listened to Steve Lacey and Irene, his wife, for many years. And they had both been a major inspiration to both of us. We had studied his music a lot. And there was something in Steve Lacey's music, you know, the, the music that he had written, it was very deliberate. His sound was very deliberate. Um, 
that really touched both Frank and myself. Um, and then when Frank started writing music to 20th and 21st century poems, poets, such as Creeley and Kerouac and Lacey, um, he, he used these poems as a base for setting his music. And, uh, and combining poetry and music is such an old tradition, you know, and that for some reason until recently was somewhat, somewhat underutilized, I think, in jazz. But Steve Lacey, the way he improvised and his sound, it was so deliberate and so pure that it touched me, you know. His sound was a miracle, I always thought. Even before yeah. I, I really had the tools to think deeply about the nature of what he was playing or the the theoretical elements of what he was playing. When I first heard him on a, on a recording, I actually never got a chance to see him live, but when I first heard him on a recording years and years ago, yeah. I just yeah. remember it just going straight into the center of me. It just felt like that sound exactly. that he produced, it just reached right into your being and exactly. it had hold of you until he finished. Exactly. Exactly. It was that sound. It was he had he had worked on a sound that just like reached you, you know, it's and and I think that's true of any great musician. I mean, Billy's sound, Abby's sound, Max's sound, you know, it just it just gets you, you know, Rand's sound. I mean, that's the bottom line to have your own sound. get along without you very well of course I do except when soft rains fall and rip from leaves that I recall the three being sheltered in your arms Of course I do Christine, we've mostly been focused on When Soft Rains Fall, your new duo recording with Rand Blake, but uh, I'm sure, like anyone in the uh, improvised music world, uh, you've got a bunch of things going on at any one time. Could you talk about some of the other projects that you're involved in? Absolutely, uh, Jason. Well, you know, earlier this year, before the pandemic hit us, I collaborated with Professor Bob O'Meary, who is the director for jazz studies at Columbia University, in a project called Sirens to Die For. This is a presentation that reflects on the sirens from the Odyssey, as refigured by the African-American painter Romare Bearden whose um, Odysseus and musicians are people of color. So I, we performed this literally three days before the pandemic hit. And I did it with four other women and one guy. 
and most of them were Columbia alum. And it was really, we brought in repertoire from Nina Simone and Abby Lincoln and, um, and, and, you know, it was a very interesting project because uh, Professor O'Mealy showed Bearden's paintings. He did a talk on it and he connected that with the music we performed, you know, and hopefully we'll do many more of those performances. But other than that, I've also actually recently received a Chamber Music America residency grant to perform Max Roach's protest songs. Actually. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, which I know have rarely been performed. And this music is based on on civil rights themes and is specifically selected from Roach's Freedom Now Suite and Percussion Bittersweet, which he recorded in, I believe it was 1961 and 1963 with, with Abby. And the texts were by Oscar Brown Jr., as I mentioned. And it seems, you know, the lyrics and the music, they speak truth to the present realities of American race relations. And Which politics. is fairly sad considering they're 60 years I old. I know, as much as they did in the 1960s, yes. So uh, we will be performing that in about six places once things open up. And, um, and I'm doing that with a wonderful drummer, Michael Serene, who's originally from Washington, and Kim Cass, a fantastic bass player, and Andrew Boudreau, who's Canadian, and myself. It's a quartet. So we should be performing that once we are allowed to do live performances. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And the third project I have is called Mishran, which means mixture in Hindi. And it's a collaboration of four New York City jazz musicians. It's with Kenny Wessel on guitar. I don't know if you know Kenny, who I played do, with yeah. Ornette for about... Yeah, he played with Ornette for about 10 years. And uh, Ben Rosenblum on accordion. And uh, Ethan Fox on tabla. And here we, and I sing, we sing in Indian folk tunes, Hindu Indian folk tunes, yes. And we explore various Indian folk tunes through a jazz lens. And it's very personal for me because we've included some folk tunes I learned as a kid in my school in Mumbai. The new album is called When Soft Rains Fall, and it features Rand Blake on piano and my guest for today, Christine Correa, uh, whose wonderful voice just lifts this music up, and I cannot recommend this recording highly enough. Christine, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and to hear this music and to hear your, your thoughtful words about the music and about why we do it in the first place. I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to be on the show, and I, I wish you the best. Thank you so much, Jason Crane. And I look forward to hearing this. I'll be around. No matter. My thanks to this week's guest, Christine Correa. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com/slash join, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.
Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.